Welcome everyone to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Krisloff, along with Eric Mokaya. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, and this week was focused on inflation, supply chains, and the Federal Reserve response to it. And so in the macro section, we picked up the real economy is still moving at a, uh, a pretty good clip, even though capital markets have been volatile and slowing down some concerns over rising interest rates. There is a particularly provocative quote from Lowe's CEO, James Tisch, who's always been a, a Fed critic, but talked about the Fed fighting a forest fire with a water pistol and just being really behind the curve of inflation, which he, he's not at all wrong about. The Fed has been very behind the curve and fighting inflation and still hasn't really begun to start fighting. So, uh, you know, they're still planning to raise interest rates for the first time, I think, in March. And now people are speculating that they may do like a half percent raise or more or raise seven times this year. So people's expectations, monetary policy is getting a lot more hawkish and more aggressive. What are your thoughts, Eric? I was surprised by that quote. It was a pretty long quote from Lloyd. I usually you expect that from guys like Jimmy Diamond, like that the bank CEOs comment about that a lot. So maybe you followed him a bit more. I haven't. So I was surprised by that. The density of the court and also like uh, how, how apt it was in terms of describing the situation. In a week when I think the U.S. reported 7.5% increase in uh, CPI prices. So uh, that's, I think this is the highest in 40 years. So very interesting to see what the Fed does next month. And there's the indications that rates have to be raised, you know, but, but of course the usual comments about the economy being uh, resilient and the impact of Omicron abating, I should say like events around Europe have resumed as I know you had Super Bowl this weekend. So I think it seems like life is slowly getting back to normal. Or what do you feel from your end? Yeah. I mean, I think the life is definitely getting back to normal, the overcrowded stuff, I think Cases are down to like, we're yesterday, we're like 30,000 new cases in the U.S., which is back to, it's still an elevated number of cases, but it's not anything like it wasn't the peak of Omicron. So I think, uh, you know, life is, is returning to normal here. So I would say maybe a, a theme that continued this uh, week, but which I noticed a lot of companies talk, commenting about it is margin compression in the first half of the year. Uh, given the high, maybe they have a lot of, a lot of companies have high inventories uh, from either high inventories because of the supply chain situations that they've been having, but also they're paying high freight costs. So cost inflation is very high. So a lot of companies are indicating that the first half of the year would be quite challenged in terms of margins. Did you see anything like that? Yourself? Yeah. I mean, the margin stuff, I, I usually tend to downplay the like impact on margins because companies talk about margins being impacted all the time, but it seems like these sorts of things, they find a way to maintain their margins. But I think one indicator of the supply chain stuff and the inflationary impacts that I want to talk about today was this weekend, I went to tr go try and buy a couch and I went to just a furniture store and, you know, Basically, they couldn't deliver a couch until they were quoting out until May and June to deliver. And I was talking to a salesperson. I was like, before the pandemic, how long would it have taken to get a couch? And he said, you know, two weeks, we would have had it to you. And so he was saying that the, the factory in North Carolina, where do they make the, make the furniture? It was just totally backed up by workers leaving or, or COVID, you know, not being fully staffed back. And then they, because it was a housing related item, 
they just had so many, such a flood of orders during the pandemic and they continued on and they weren't managing them at all. So, you know, that is an indicator to me, just, it's still not getting much better out there. That's why I would say, like, I, I would take it more seriously that companies are saying that there's margin compression uh, because of the issues of delivery, freight costs being pretty high, but we'll see. Maybe the second, maybe the second half of the year will be a bit eased. So, I mean, something else that caught my attention and I think we picked up from last week is, of course, the geopolitical situation. This week, I think there's been a ramp up kind of discussions around Europe about the situation in Ukraine. And then specifically, we saw a quote there by Cloudflare that says that they've onboarded a lot of Ukrainian businesses, news outlets, and government organizations. And they offered a gentle reminder that these days warfare, like modern warfare, is, is fought both online and offline. So I think it's going to be very integral like to this. But I, 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 re- I always enjoy reading uh, Cloudflare earnings calls. So they ha- the CEO also said that they had a... Uh, he had a very interesting way of putting it. He was saying that they had a most excellent quarter and across board, they had a really good quarter. And it's a fast, uh, fast quarter when they had a positive uh, free cash flow margins. So they went free cash flow positive for the first time in a long while. And of course, I mean, that was interesting for me to pick this week, the aspect of Cloudflare and the focus on Ukraine. Do you, from your end, do you guys in the US like, or generally have a sense of what is happening outside the U.S. in terms of the geopolitical situation in Europe. Yeah, I mean, I think people are watching it closely with a lot of concern. It's It was interesting to see Cloud Affair talk about the digital nature of war. And, you know, everybody's watching the troop build up there. And Putin is somebody that people have been concerned about here for a very long time. So it'd be interesting to see the way that this really shakes out. I think that was a good sign, at least today, the headlines are that, that the lines for diplomacy are still open. And I'm very hopeful that there's not actual war that breaks out in Europe. So. Yep. I would uh, hope so too. Disney is turning a hundred, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I was surprised by that. It doesn't he- strike you so much until I've read a little bit about the history of uh, Disney. I mean, it's an admirable company especially the acquisitions it's made along the way, which have made it like a repository of this rich IP content. They'd still tapping into many, many years later. Uh, I mean, they have Disney Plus now, they're on to digital programming and e- so they reported earnings and they're hundred years old. Any comments about yourself? Yeah, I think it's own marker for society that Disney is turning under Disney kind of marking the birth of mass industrialization of you know, pop culture. So we've been a hundred years on that treadmill, which is like a long time, but also a very short time as well, it seems. And it was interesting to juxtapose Disney's hundredth anniversary with some of the forward looking statements that were made on the call about the metaverse and wherever we're going next with media. Uh, it certainly feels like things have accelerated a lot in terms of the way that the media landscape has, has changed in a hundred years and it could accelerate even faster in the next 20. So, you know, that's the thing we're obviously watching closely. This is incredible that a company has survived a hundred years and it's still, you know, tapping into the modern, like the, the way the modern, like watch uh, the modern, uh, like way in which people are watching television and all these and, and, and consuming content online. So this moving into streaming and now they're saying they're into the metaverse and all. So it's pretty interesting to see how maybe the next 100 uh, 
years look like for such a company. It's, it's so interesting to note that these are the companies which are some of the biggest in the world right now. Google actually less than 25 or 30 old. So yes, kudos to Disney, I would say. Anything else that struck your attention apart from the, I like the just juxtaposition you did with the Cloudflare quote, Guinness Pelotot. I think yeah, I, uh, I think just going back to the supply chain stuff and the way that that plays into it, there were a couple of quotes in there about the supply chain that I think were worth touching on more. One was on the inventory side. I, I robot actually just talking about that their inventory balance was running almost a hundred percent higher than it was at the end of 2020 and talking about how a lot of that inventory bloat was due to the fact that merchandise was stuck in transit. I think it's really important because when you have over inventory, especially if demand changes, you have inventory coming to market and that's really the margin impact that you care about because they'll have to discount that inventory in order to sell it and be able to clear the inventory that they had effectively been financing. And I think the, the thing with Peloton that dovetails into that it is you basically have this company that was preparing for hyper growth and had large commitments to produce bikes. And it looks like with Dineon slowing, you have inventory problems and you have commensurate like losses, even though this is a really a strong brand still, you have these supply chain dynamics actually like leading to not quite existential crisis, but pretty heavy loss crisis for a company like Peloton is very interesting. And it could be a canary in the coal mine for other companies that are dealing with these same supply chain problems. You may see a lot of e-commerce companies that have been dealing with these heavy supply chain problems. You may see bankruptcies out of this on the other side of it because of the way that the inventory dynamics are playing out. So I think that's something to watch for as the year unfolds and definitely worth mentioning here. Any yeah. thoughts, sir? I agree, especially I think that having read, because I spent a little time in the past few weeks, like listening to the, there's a podcast uh, on uh, like a deep dive into Peloton. So I realized some of the issues were actually one that the CEO wasn't ready really to deal with public markets. He was making statements and having to retract them. There was a point he said they don't need car, they have enough cash. And then next week they issued shares, more shares into the market. So I think like those kind of miscalculations and one of the major ones that actually affected them was the inventory. So they, they met because people were wanted Peloton, they, but they couldn't get them in time. So what they did, they made a mistake of actually shipping them uh, at a very costly, uh, at a very costly prices to ship them to customers. But then, you know, they get stuck with some of the inventory along the way at higher, at higher prices, which eats into the margins. And then now they had like to fire a lot of employees and now they're having like cash flow issues at the end of the day. So I think those kind of, it's really good to pay attention to how uh, inventory backlog plays out in a lot of these companies. So I think that's, that, as you say, that's an area to watch. Should we end there? Yeah, I think that's a good place to end this week. All right. Thanks for joining us this week. I'll see you next week.